0: Hello. How's everyone doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. This is the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the number one value investing podcast in the world. This is soon to be the number one value investing YouTube channel in the world as well. See you next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if you're listening on YouTube, we're going to become the number one value investing YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe mm-hmm. button. If you're listening on the podcast, side thing. hit that subscribe button too. We're always asking for rating and reviews. Now we're just asking you to hit that subscribe button. Uh, definitely very thankful for all of the support out there. A lot of people always like to ask what books we have on the table. We have The Snowball, which is one of my favorite books. Um, and then these three books are of permanent value. Mm-hmm. And there's volume one, vol- volume two, and volume three. And uh, these are like textbooks, which are pretty interesting and they go very extensively into Buffett's life. I actually have not read them. These are Jeff's books. Yeah, I was talking about, I've heard people mention this book before and I didn't realize that they're like literal textbooks.
1: It's like an encyclopedia of Buffett, basically. Like it's broken down into articles sort of that way. It is a more um, amateur type thing in terms of it being self-published or whatever, but it's excellent quality and stuff. So it is definitely like, I call it like a Buffett encyclopedia, Mm -hmm. and then you have common stocks and uncommon profits. Yes, this is the Phil Fisher book, and that's because we're uh, we're going to be talking about today.
0: That's right. So we are going to be talking about today, um, uh, sort of, you know, our experience talking to management. We've you know met with management in person at the beginning of the year before COVID happened. We went on a road trip where we went to like five or six different cities and we drove and stayed in you know a bunch of different hotels, and it was a lot of fun and very productive. And of course, we've also talked to management on the phone and we're just going to be talking about our experience doing that and really what we're trying to um you know get out of mm-hmm. the process right and before we actually dive into it i'll tell let's tell them a little bit of a fun story so actually mm-hmm. on this road trip maybe we're going to have like uh i don't know we'll start to do more like personal things behind the scenes right we may for some people for some yeah. people yes yeah. so jeff and I, I don't think we want that main feed thing yeah for a very yeah. short period of time Call it 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Thought we were going to die. I thought we were going to die. I was (laughs) like, this is it. This is it. This is it. So we. a tornado. Yeah. That's right. So we were coming back. I don't even know how long we were driving for, very long time. Uh We're in Texas and we're actually, that's kind of funny. We didn't do this on purpose. We were listening to the snowball. Yes. You run out of things to talk about (laughs) when you've been driving for, you know, 20 plus hours. So we're listening to the snowball. And at one point, it started to rain really hard. So much to the point where I like turned down the volume because I'm like, right. I really need to yeah. focus right now. And um, I can almost feel like the energy in the car completely changed too. By the way, when you <laughs> and I realized, like, holy cow, this is kind of serious. Yeah, like, you what's going on? I couldn't see anything. Yeah. So it was, we couldn't see even like 10 feet in front of mm-hmm. us. Um, our phones start like going crazy because they're saying, like, tornado in the area, take shelter. Mm-hmm. And what do we do? Luckily, there was an exit that yep. came up. And um, we got off and there was a Walmart that was right yep. there. So we pull there into were the- sirens at the time. Yeah, which, sirens yeah, are going off. It was going, going crazy. Off. The wind was hard. We're in a Prius, which is nice when we drive uh-huh. because yeah. we get that gas mileage. And um, we pull into the Walmart and the lady at the front door was like waving to us, yep. like, get in here. Mm-hmm. So we run inside. We- are like escorted to the back of the Walmart with other mm-hmm. people were there for all of I don't know 20 minutes and everything was fine and then everyone just goes back to shopping yeah that's right yeah. everything did it go back to was good advertising for Walmart everyone sheltered there and then they bought stuff but yeah. there literally was a good 30 seconds and I remember distinctly thinking like wow we you know I mean what How that luck you raise a new fund everything's going <laughs> great it's and like then the two, two weeks, GPs yeah. you know just die in a tornado yeah. and I kept thinking I'm like man yeah. this is this is gonna be a weird one to explain if something happens <laughs> yeah you know?
1: but it is big advantage to driving a car. Yeah. We're very in favor of that. I mean, we could have obviously taken planes from some of the cities. We're, we're in Dallas, so it's easy to take planes from there to whatever other place we might need. Mm-hmm. But some places we visit are more out of the way places, and we like to definitely get a feel for the town, the area, whatever. For some businesses, it matters more than others. Yeah. So, like if it's a manufacturing business, it might matter a little bit less. If it's a bank, it matters a lot to get a feeling for the town and stuff. And so, and then also just not having to be on a plane means it's really easy to, we can always be like meet with management whenever they want. They mm-hmm. can reschedule, they can do whatever they want. Whereas it's not like, we fly into a city for a day and then fly out.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we, and there's times where we just aimlessly drive around to just get a feel for, you know, the demographics there. Of course you could read mm-hmm. about it, but I think there, there really is something to, you know, going and just kind of having the boots on the ground, spending time there, having lunch, having dinner, staying in the town, mm-hmm. being a tourist, if that's what you want to do, you know, or seeing what civilians are like and kind yeah of just sitting there and people watching and just getting a, a feel for it so that's why we like to um to drive to these mm-hmm. places and then because you're on your own schedule as well right um so we're going to be talking about um our experiences doing this and we've like right. i said we've met with management in person we've also spoken mm-hmm. to management um, we won't
1: be giving any specific examples in terms of company names or management names and that is a lesson for doing this kind of thing. It's what Phil Fisher talked about and I want to reinforce here for other people. Mm-hmm. One of the first things we usually say when we talk to anyone about anything is like, we won't say your names and stuff. Mm-hmm. And an also useful one is usually to tell people that we don't short stocks.
0: Yeah. And there's a benefit of doing this too, especially if you invest in our space. Mm-hmm. I think it's a massive benefit to do. I mean, you're not trying to get inside information or anything like right. that, but you're just trying to, um, you know, really get a feel for the way that management thinks about certain things. And they may say certain things mm-hmm. that, can give you a conclusion on you know how they would think about it. So, for example, if they're talking about, and we talked about this in our last episode, uh, I think actually when we did it on Philip Fisher, we were talking about if management says, you know, oh no, we would never cut our dividend. Right. our dividend is sacred to us. Mm-hmm. That's something that we you know want to have for fifty plus years or whatever. Um, you would know if they ever need. You know, capital. Right. <laughs> They're going to probably think about other ways to raise capital, yep. whether that's through like dilution or raising debt. So there's just right. certain nuances that you could take away from it.
1: Yep. And the flip side with that, where someone's so against debt and stuff, means there is some chance they might issue stock. You know, mm-hmm. that, that becomes a factor. So, mm-hmm. um, so
0: what are you always trying to get out of it? I guess when you're speaking right. magic, because it's not like we're not trying to get information that other people don't mm-hmm. know.
1: Uh, so. When talking to management, generally, I find that it's not about getting information about the company. You may get that, but I actually find that much more useful. We've talked to people at what I guess you call vice president type levels or something like that. People who are more, um, the, the, uh, account person on the other side of things, dealing with the company, things like that. Um, branch managers and things like that. GMs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's much more useful for getting a feel for interactions with the customer and stuff like that. Um, the, the level of like the CFO and the CEO tend to be a little, bit different and not the best people to ask so what makes your company different than others though we do ask that question i would say um we do sometimes ask questions like what do you do that your competitors aren't doing or won't do or things like that but that's not usually what we and we had asked that more of a founder i would say like that sort of thing Um, but if you think more about her professional management i think the questions usually have to do with whether we want to assess management of whether we think they're good management or not, and I've kind of broken that down by saying that's actually only a few factors, usually it's two factors I would say, although there there can be a third I think, but the two factors really are what's their attitude towards capital allocation and then what's their level of candor um The other things that we sometimes can learn are like their conservatism, their caution, whatever you want to call that that their that approach, and also sometimes. Talking to management, especially if they're founders or like second generation or whatever, you can learn about the corporate culture. So I think like asking them just about their business and whether their business has better products or better technology or whatever, not so useful. But like things about why their um, their organization, what's unusual about it from mm-hmm. other ones, those you can sometimes get from management. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you ask that, I mean, mm-hmm. what are the type of responses you're looking to hear? Right. So. Um, capital allocation we're looking to hear that they do think of themselves as like stewards of shareholder money or whatever you want to call it there is some attitude about that that's important they have some thought of that um and it is worrying sometimes when we talk to people who i otherwise like and stuff who have no concept of say return on equity or something like that um and then there can be things about wh- why would they pay the dividend and buybacks and and all those sorts of things that a company might have um what are their attitudes towards expansion Uh, Different things like that. One question we, I think, always ask is like about who are your other shareholders? Like what's your shareholder base like and stuff? Mm -hmm. That's often an easier way to get their attitudes about those things. Um, How do you enjoy being a public company or not? Um, These are questions that in a way... Uh, by making it more like, well, talk to us about wh- what shareholders you like and don't like and stuff is actually a way for them to talk about themselves and what they value instead of coming right out to them and saying, okay, so what's your capital allocation attitude and stuff? If they talk to us and they're like, well, they always, you know, they're all about growth and whatever, but, you know, you can't accomplish growth in an even pattern or whatever, then you learn about their attitudes about it really when they talk about like what they
0: like and don't like about mm-hmm. being a public company. So when it comes to like the shareholder base, Mm-hmm. Let's unpackage that a little okay. bit. What would you like them to say?
1: Well, one is it is useful for us as being focused on overlooked stocks if they are more overlooked. Um, so if the shareholder basis is not um, a bunch of active funds, and, and I mean a bunch of uh, passive funds and some big mutual funds and things like that. Um, but I think that how they talk about it, and how they cater to or don't Wall Street and stuff mm-hmm. is useful in learning about their capital allocation and how they kind of run things and stuff. And, of course, when we're talking to smaller companies, uh, not just smaller, overlooked, companies that don't turn over their shares a lot, wh- what will be totally different for us than most people listen to this when they look into a company is that they'll actually say, like, specific um, individuals, not necessarily they'll tell us about their names and stuff, though they may, um, like, you know, we have some people who were with us from the beginning of when we founded this. Here's this guy that I know and whatever. They have individual shareholders who are pretty major in some cases. Mm-hmm. And so they will talk about that kind of thing. Um, they do sometimes talk about how long their shareholders have held it and stuff and and things like that. That depends a lot on how it IPO'd and things like that. I was so. going
0: to say, there's been a couple cases where they're like, I went to hundred or two hundred of my mm-hmm. closest friends or people that I knew and they've held the stock, you know, for as long as they possibly have. Right. So why if you ask a company, why do you pay a dividend? And we're like, well, you know, I started this company by going to my closest friends mm-hmm. or a lot of people that I knew within the community. And, you know, we want to pay a dividend to them and they've held the stock and they've been good shareholders right those sorts of things are for those kinds of tiny companies we look at are
1: overlooked um that's more how dividends used to be their point uh they're trying to create income for someone basically to get them to not sell the stock Mm -hmm. and that if you go back to you know wall street of the 1950s and stuff was a normal thing to do because people held stocks for a long time now people flip stocks very quickly and so dividends don't I mean, people value dividends in some ways, but much less so for that reason. But that is true for people who just hang on for a long time, especially if you have ones that aren't held in in um, brokerage accounts. And mm-hmm. we have a few stocks where probably meaningful amounts of the stock have not been held in a in a brokerage account.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, there's other things, too, that we try to gauge. And when we did our 10-bagger episode, we were talking mm-hmm. about management that is cost conscious. Right. And we are talking about That's one of the how, most important things. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, I guess if you talk to management in person or maybe you go to the office, you could really- get a feel yes. for their um you know the way that they are with that yeah actually with buffett i think the only uh when we go I, into a sorry not to cut you yeah. off but when we go into an office and you know someone important at the company says we very much have a servant mentality yeah, yeah well keeping well, things right and, and I that because
1: it's kind of f- comical the quarters that they're in for the kind yeah. of uh, business that they are
0: i think uh, the CEO had the smallest office in the building not even a window
1: yeah no it it was quite a large volume of business being done out of quite a small space um and the thing with that one which i think we've mentioned that before is that was important there is the difference between customer facing and employee stuff Mm -hmm. the thing that you don't get a feel for as a shareholder on the outside sometimes is how much spending is going on in the employee thing we've all of us have some experience, either through jobs we had ourselves or other people had or whatever, where we've seen the inside of organizations and sometimes how much goes into the jockeying between the different employees, who's in favor, who's not, what floor they're on, what office they've got, what uh, benefits they've got from this or that thing, which is really about comparing themselves to other people and, and that sort of thing. More so than it's about just like uh, compensation levels overall, you know, and you don't get that feel until you're there mm-hmm. um, where you can't see that behind the scenes um, unless you talk to people that way and i think that that's helpful uh, buffett his two big things are capital allocation and cost consciousness and that the cost conscious one is incredibly important um it's the biggest thing that management can do from an operational perspective to be successful is from the earliest days to be very much penny pinching and stuff like that uh, especially about things that the customer can't see penny pinching about internal overhead all sorts of things like that you know but but penny pinching in general and that's hard because they often don't talk about it in the letters And actually, the more they talk about cost-cutting initiatives, the less they tend to be a company that kept costs down in the first place. So unfortunately, if you read annual reports and things, you think, oh, this is great, they're cutting costs. They shouldn't have had those costs in the first place. The companies that are really serious about not having costs in the first place are the ones that almost never talk about we have this plan to cut costs over the next three years or something. Mm-hmm. Cost-cutting plans
0: never seem to have any basis in reflecting a culture that from the beginning is cutting costs. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple of situations in our experience where there are some outside parties that may have wanted management to do different things with the company sure. or different ways of capital yeah. allocation. And we're like, no, we, we like the business. We just want it to be business as usual. <laughs> you know, right. Just continue to do the same thing. So I'm kind of curious on your thoughts, I guess, in relation to that. Um, you know, when looking at these companies and, and this idea of capital allocation, like what are you right. looking for management to say? So if it's a very if we're interested, it's most mm-hmm. likely it generates good returns. We think it's probably pretty scalable in some form. Yeah. Um, you know, the incremental returns or return on equity, whatever we want to use, they're probably pretty favorable. So I guess, you know, what are you looking for management to say when it comes to capital allocation? I'm looking for an overall feel of how they
1: think, which is unique for them. So, the big thing that I'm trying to do, and I've talked about sort of a little bit about how, when dealing with people who might lie to you or who might whatever, it's very important to take yourself out of it and what you want to hear. People too often bring in their own ideas of, like, I want to hear they're going to do a stock buyback. And so, either you can hear that when it's not what they're saying, or you can give off the feeling that they should tell you more in that direction, which you don't want. Mm -hmm. So, what you want is Um, to try to think of it completely from their perspective. That's what I try to do. Forget myself completely and think of it only as if I was in their shoes and have a feeling for what they kind of – the kinds of problems they face, what they believe, all sorts of things about their attitudes about that. So different – companies may have different attitudes about like their loyalty to their employees, the importance of serving the community that they have there, the importance of like durability that they want to be around forever versus the importance of getting good returns for shareholders versus all of those sorts of things. And it doesn't necessarily make one much better than the other, but everyone will have sort of unique things about that. We were talking to someone who is a very good businessman and stuff, but has a belief, which is quirky and he knows it's quirky about being very, um, he would rather be invested in things that are uh, not government bonds, even though being invested in corporate bonds and things, you're still invested in things which are backed by money that the government is printing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think he's aware of that fact. And that's a good thing to take in and isn't necessarily a very positive or a very negative thing. It, it, It helps you understand things about his beliefs, his political beliefs, where he's from, all those sorts of things, which is very useful to have all of that together. Um if you want to see a re in that book, uh, the snowball, if you want to get a really good example of someone doing uh, being great at doing that kind of stuff is Buffett goes and, um, talks to, uh, Annenberg. Yeah. He talks to the guy who uh, owned uh, at that time he owned the TV guide and what else did he own? Um, uh, he owned something else, but anyway, um, he goes and meets with him and he was a very, uh, quirky individual and he does a great job so that episode from the snowball i'd encourage people to uh, read because buffett's very good at doing that of talking Mm -hmm. to people not judging them and stuff Mm -hmm. and getting a feel for what they believe why they believe in and just an overall feel for that person and getting feels for things like how cautious or how risk-taking they are Mm -hmm. and and just things like that how realistic they are about certain things but also what things they really important to them and what aren't and a lot of the people you talk to at smaller companies that we have and stuff are not going to... The truth is the shareholder is not their number one priority. It's not. Um, Their number one priority is probably... It could be a few different things, but one of them is likely to be that they would rather be 100% certain to have their business survive and to continue to employ people and do all those things at the size that it is now, then you would care about. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're like in one little community or something like that, especially if they're a major employer, things like that. So you have to understand they're gonna care a lot more about that. And likewise, some people who might not be that focused on driving a return on equity or something could still be very good at making sure that the business is completely safe, could be very good at not overcompensating themselves, being very honest and whatever and those sorts of things there's someone that way that I know as a management uh, person who I think I would like to be a little more focused on return on equity and stuff. But on the other hand, I think mostly because of his religious beliefs is
0: very ethical person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of curious, do you ever look to see like how management has responded to outside parties? Yeah. So like for example, if an activist takes, you know, a position or comes after a company, do you look to see like what they do? I mean, there's, so many different situations, I could think of where management they may you know set up their company like maybe they have a poison pill yeah. in place or something mm-hmm. like that you know absolutely
1: I think that 's difficult, and we can talk about this some more at sometimes, but because it, it goes sort of beyond management. I think it's very easy to get an incorrect feel for what happens in those situations though, so you have to be careful uh, i I would be cautious because i 've seen many times that when I talk to management. What I find out about management is very different than the attitude that's been painted, whether it's on message boards Mm -hmm. or whether it's just people talking about them reading into their behavior by kind of grouping them so like grouping them of oh they're hostile to outsiders or whatever well unless you really get to know the specific outsiders and get to know them and get to know what those communications were like then it's kind of hard to judge that it's incredible
0: sometimes if you (laughs) insert yourself into the situation but do your own research on right and how how different much you know you could read on i'll say corner berkshire and fairfax how different the opinion can be from reality yeah and they could be like hey you know this management they're spending so much you know capital or whatever and then you're with them they're like yeah i'm sleeping at the office <laughs> and i just say yeah like, you know what i'm saying just the right. difference of of you know what's going on
1: right because it takes a narrative and it either goes in one direction or the other and there's truth to that narrative you can totally understand why people would pick that up and paint it a certain way because like some things happened in one case or another where they started spending a lot of money or they had some issue or whatever those sorts of things were. But then when you find out more about it, it's like that gets taken to a certain extreme in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but I think that's very true in getting a feel for talking to management about like, um, uh, I think that, yeah the things with the activists and stuff is hard because they're especially because the communications you're getting aren't even all the communications they're having with each other Mm -hmm. so like you're seeing it's almost like competing press releases or something like it's as if you're having a G7 summit or whatever and afterwards you're just getting the communique without the like what they actually said in the room and stuff Mm -hmm. you know
0: well it's interesting like there's been a couple situations I'll say let's say (laughs) over the past couple of years where I've spoken to an activist who is very involved in a company and he's like, yeah, you know, shareholders always call me and they say, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough, you're, this isn't happening quick enough. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't think people realize, like, A, we've made a lot of progress, and B, this is very freaking hard to make this right. progress and and sort of end the regime and change things at the company effectively. Yeah, you know?
1: mm-hmm. and that's also a thing where you see nothing until they actually do something. Yeah, So, like, people will are suddenly surprised when something comes out when they've been working on it for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I for whatever reason, there tends to be this thing where it all gets back behind one particular sort of narrative thing yeah. so like sometimes people will believe a company's gonna be sold when when you talk to people there there's no reason to believe that ever mm-hmm. but like and the facts could have been thought of as either way but you know they th- they think of it to support it like because someone or a couple people wrote up a blog post with like wouldn't we make a lot of money if it was sold mm-hmm. which is true and then because some people bought in on that basis they may have a reason to believe that when you know it's
0: just not true mm-hmm. okay so capital allocation i mean what are other things what would phil fisher do when he would talk to management so Phil Fisher would care a lot about people further down in the organization. I think that's
1: a key one. And that is something that we worry about a lot. Uh, the most common one when you talk to me about like, do you like management? Do you not like management? I'm like, I always say, look whatever happens here in something there has to be a person an insider yeah. who actually can run this thing and knows how to run it meaning a business who's unit got or their or the boots business. on the ground who's right. getting after and it, and that's what buffett cares about like yeah. that someone will actually be there doing it when he takes over company he will not take over company without an insider there to run it and that's my biggest concern the thing i worry about the most is especially activists and things like that that they're like well we'll kick out whoever and then you know Everything will be fine, mm-hmm. you know, and that's fine if there's a vice president of whatever who'd be the perfect person to run it. Yeah. You know, if you find out that at that plant that they have one manufacturing plant or whatever, the guy who runs that plant is amazing, then who cares if they you throw out the the chairman or CEO, whoever who's who who's you know paying himself a ton of money, but at other times they they push out people who are critical to things who know things and yeah. who, who did all that and you can't have people who don't have any knowledge of the industry suddenly come in and run it so there has to be an operations person who does that so yeah we talk all the time i'm like but what about the person who's running at the site level and stuff what about that mm. you know how is that person compensated yeah even things if we i've given the example of tandy many times so we'll give that one i'm really interested in like the store managers they do a lot and I, for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be a fascination of most investors who talk to me about Tandy. It's like, well, can't there be a person who runs it you know, who knows how to do that mm-hmm. and does it successfully? I don't know. I think if they tried to run a Tandy,
0: they wouldn't be that successful. Well, that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> I think investors forget yeah. how hard it is to be an operator. <laughs> right. So let's go back to this, this example I'm talking about, this hypothetical example, wink, mm-hmm. wink, whatever, over the past two years. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so you're speaking to somebody and I'm like, well, would you... Have an interest in being CEO of this company if the opportunity arises, and he's a great investor. And he's like, I don't have an operator, which is the answer that (laughs) that (laughs) we want. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. he's like, I don't, I don't know how to right, and we would be very worried if that wasn't the answer. I mean, look at Buffett's experience with companies when he was Mm -hmm. CEO of it. I mean, it's different between being an investor and being a businessman.
1: Yeah, or operator, absolutely. And so there is some information sometimes. I mean, one of the most common things that we can ask about and stuff when we talk to management is basically people below that level about like, so who is that? Where do they live? Where they, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how much are they paid, how are they paid, how long are they likely to stick around, things like that. We, I mean, an asset that you think is very successful and then suddenly loses the person who is running it can be really rough. And at big companies, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, Google can go out and get whoever they yeah. want to hire to replace that. They can steal from anyone else. But at smaller companies, it matters it's a great deal. And if you're a place that's running three restaurants or something, the, the three people who are running those restaurants on a day-to-day basis are actually really critical. And unfortunately, in most SEC filings and stuff, you don't even know their names. Yeah. You don't know yeah. what they're paid. You don't know their names. I mean, so that's always the question is like who's actually running these things or actually running this business unit. There's, there's cases of companies I've seen that have like two business units and they don't list who the heads of those business units are. Now, they're happy. You can often find out on the website. But even without that, they're happy if you talk to them mm-hmm. to have the CEO of the company tell you who the two presidents of the you know business units are and stuff. But it, that's really important information. Sure. So And that's what Phil Fisher would talk about and stuff. He'd be very interested in that. He would meet with like half a dozen people and stuff at the organization. And you can kind of tell that with Buffett because he tells one story about American Express where the uh, CEO of American Express said, you know... Um, you know, it's great that you're interested in company and all, Warren. You own like five percent, whatever. But you know, maybe respect the chain of command. Don't come yeah. in and start talking to like the vice president of uh, whatever thing. Sounds like that's the people who you want to talk to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can talk to me, and I can introduce you to whoever and whatever. But don't come in and talk to people who are the third
0: level down in the organization. You know why it's actually better to talk to them is because the third level down would be much more candid than the right. CEO could, would be in most situations because they don't, they're not trained to speak to Cheryl. It's not again, not like you're right. being deceiving, but I think you get a much more real picture of what's going on. Yes, and people who deal with key decision makers all day are the people that you most
1: want to talk to. So someone who talk, who spends their whole day talking to customers Or their whole day talking to suppliers or someone like that is often I found to be the most useful. And you can usually get that from the opposite side, though, of getting the people that they deal with. And and so it's easier to get that. And Phil Fisher would do that. He would actually talk to a bunch of people in different companies in the same organization, uh, different organizations in the same industry. So if he was interested Mm -hmm. in one semiconductor company, he actually researched five of them, even though he knew he'd only buy into one because he wanted to know the attitudes of the other competitors and stuff towards them. He would also ask the silver bullet question, right? Yes,
0: uh, that's one, yeah. Who's the competitor that they're most afraid of and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And why? Yep. Mm -hmm. To learn about it. So I guess in closing, um, what's the main thing you're trying to get away from meeting with management and talking with management?
1: Uh, I would like to know about them as a, person basically their attitudes about how they run the company their personality in a way so I, I think of them as we learn about the company and then we learn about how will they run the company uh, that's what i'm interested in what i do not want from them at all is why should we buy your stock mm-hmm. and so you'll notice that many times before i've said to people don't talk to management uh don't talk to management and don't look at investor presentation stuff and i strongly stand by that as a thing that people should be very cautious about you want to have your own reasons for buying the stock that are different from the management situation and then you just want to be interviewing them as you would sort of be interviewing someone um to run a business that you owned already you Mm -hmm. know something like that like would you trust them do you trust their judgment honestly for us especially because we like founder type things and stuff like that are they likely to be around a long time I mean, that is a really big part of what I'm reading into it, is I'm looking for hints of them being like, well, you know, I mean, I probably only have another 15 years left in me or whatever, versus things that are like them not saying that stuff. And Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, people's ages and things like that. And we know what, you know, often know what kind of stock they own in the company and stuff, but just ideas of how long they might stick around and stuff. And definitely, I want to see insiders, because I can't judge what an outsider would do. So I want to have the feeling that insiders will be the one replacing them. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Hit that subscribe button both on YouTube and the podcast side of things. It helps spread the word. Also, be sure to download our full backlog if you are going to want access to that for free because on July 1st, we're only going to have the most 20 recent podcasts be available and then the rest will be behind a paywall. Uh, but if you're a regular listener and you follow along uh, with our normal schedule, yeah, um, it's not going to affect enjoy. you one bit. So I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in and we will see you in the next podcast.